you did not kill Tara Baker? Absolutely not. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. If you can believe it, we're now in week nine of season one of the Tara Baker story. And things are really moving fast around here. I'll be honest, some days it's hard to keep up. Last week you learned about suspect number one, the classmate. You'll remember that he had an eye for Tara and was known to make uncomfortable comments toward her and other women in the class. An unnamed source said that suspect number one attended a gathering of students at the Globe, a popular spot downtown, I've been there quite a few times, probably too many times for my own good, honestly, in which one of his classmates became extremely intoxicated. Suspect one offered to drive her home, and the source says the girl later told her that suspect one walked her to her door and appeared to be waiting for that invitation inside. Now, I'm working to find out more information to corroborate both this story and another interesting lead that came through about the classmate. A second-hand source says that they distinctly remember someone mentioning Suspect 1 calling someone in their law school section from the scene of the crime in the days that followed Tara's murder, saying that he couldn't believe it had happened. Now, again, I'm still working on confirmation on this, and the only reason I'm putting it out there is with the hopes that someone who might remember this and can corroborate it will reach out to me. You can do that at ClassicCityCrime at gmail.com. As you can see, we'll be coming back to some of these suspects, no doubt. More information pours in literally every single day. It's been overwhelming to see week to week that people are continuing to talk, and people like you are remembering very vividly what happened 20 years ago in the days leading up to and the days following the murder of dear Tara Louise Baker. So Tara was more than just a daughter, a sister, a beloved friend, a trusted classmate. She was the champion of the underdog. But she was also in a relationship at the time she was killed, which blossomed in her years at Georgia College in Milledgeville. She, an intelligent student and member of A.D. Pi, and he, a cheerleader who initially studied chemistry and biology, the hopes of attending med school, he says. Our interview was very last minute in true classic city crime fashion, as is often the case with my real-time reporting. But we sort out some of these audio problems about halfway through, so just hang on for a minute and be patient. You'll get to the good part. Meet suspect number two, the boyfriend. I am a small-town guy. I, uh... I'm a plumber. I have a license in plumbing, and, you know, I like helping people. I do more service things now and have a small service company. Prior to that, you know, how I met Tara was down at Georgia College. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to, the first time I met her, we went to a formal, well, I say the first time, the first time we really connected and talked. Um, Other than that, it was a cross path. To, to a mutual friend, but she had a formal with uh, Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in the same sorority, and surprisingly, Tara didn't have a date. And I was friends with Ashley's brother, Phil, mm-hmm. and he approached me and said, hey, man, you know, my sister has a formal. She has, like, probably her closest friend, I'm sure, and 
uh, she doesn't have a date. Do you, uh, are you interested? And I, was, I was. Yeah. So we uh, went to uh, the Shorty house, and uh, she was dressed in her formal attire. And, and uh, the first time I really got to sit and talk with her, her was there. And, and, and that night, and uh, we just we really, really started hitting it off. We ended up having a really just a, just a fantastic time, and we hit it off, and we found ourselves just kind of spending a long time together that night, just as far as just talking and just walking Georgia College and just, and uh, that was really when I first got to know how special she was. And um, how how long did it take for you, for that initial meeting to bud into a relationship? Mm. You no, know, it's kind of funny. It's, it felt like it, it wasn't. It was immediate, but it was subtle. Mm-hmm. As far as we would be, we would see each other on campus, and we'd, you know, at that point in time, even after that, we we were kind of crossing paths and talking and it was kind of developing and you know and, and like I say that formal night was the first time I talked to her and so we had I was her blind date we got to spend some good times and after that at, at the university we we really kind of had a good time and and, and uh, shared just just some good walks and talks and time on the campus and uh, that was like I say that was pretty much immediate after the formal and Mm-hmm. I knew within the next day I wanted to see her again, and so that that, that developed. Um, and then after that, it, it, it was strange because she had graduated. She was such a she left early. She graduated in three, I believe three years there, and um, and then I left, and we went our ways at that time. We went separate ways, and. Mm-hmm. Um, she had given me, I had a cell phone number for her on a piece of paper. I always, whatever, wherever I was going to or doing, I, I made sure I held on for some reason. I held on to that. I held on to that piece of paper. And, uh, and then I was here, as is what I mean by here, um, my parents. My parents had a, they had a, uh, like a finished apartment basement and I had moved back into there, um, and so I had called her from my parents' house, and and to Lovejoy, she was out mm-hmm. there at the time, and uh, we just started hitting it off. It was immediate. After that, it was immediate. Like we talked, and just it just rekindled, and we started talking, and we had a date, and we went on another date, and then another date, and then we just. Mm-hmm. I mean, aside from working and, and and her doing her thing with the real estate paralegal stuff, and me doing my plumbing thing, trying to and you know, I'm new and up and coming and trying to develop that. I was mm-hmm. working. Aside from that, nothing kept us apart. I mean, we to drive the distance. After that, we were just, we were together um, as much as we could be, and uh, I think that's really that's really when it started. This is Classic City Crime, Season 1, Episode 9, The Suspects, Part 2, The Boyfriend. 
Since I've started the podcast, I've heard quite a lot about Tara's boyfriend from a lot of different people who started calling the podcast really early on, people who were classmates with them or in their friend groups at Georgia College and beyond. And most of the accounts were pretty much the same. Tara and suspect number two, though from two different backgrounds, loved one another deeply, that he was her protector, that she was the love of his life. Yeah, I mean, traditional things. Um, she wasn't, you know, and myself either. We weren't like on a crazy wild side of doing things, but we did traditional things. Um, we loved, you know, she, we, she liked going and looking at antiques. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, you know, she had that in her. And we had, we spent time going and looking at old flea market stuff and antique malls and, you know, if, if it allowed, um, that we would go, you know, check out movies, mm-hmm. dinners, um, spend time at she at her parents' place. They had a very nice, you know, like pool house area, and that's where she was staying. So we we spent some t- time there, hanging out, shooting, and she didn't hang out. But we uh, traditional things, you know. She was that's what I would say. And um, what what would you say you remember most about her and her her um, spirit, or you know, as someone who dated her for so long? What do you remember most about her? Oh God, <laughs> so many things, man. Um, he, I mean, just aside from the obvious, I mean, she was just such a beautiful person on the inside. I just I couldn't. Um, she was one thing that always stood out to me that I felt was unique was how strong her will was as far as if she, when she set her mind to something, mm-hmm. if she had a direction. I mean, you just kind of, you just back up, mm-hmm. and, um, you know what I'm saying? And, and it was always in good. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lee, always good. Um, that's one thing I would say. I never, I don't know if I, she didn't say cross words about people. She didn't, you know, she, she was just genuinely just good person, man. Just right. Honest and how smart she was. How, how simple it came to her, to her honesty. Um, you know, and she she was, you know, she would be, she liked goofing around. She liked being facetious. She liked to, you know, when she smiled, she bit the tip of her tongue. <laughs> and it just always felt that was the best. Um, but, you know, she was, she was above and beyond the average, truly. Now, the last time he and Tara spoke was on Thursday, January 18th, the night before the fire on Vaughn Drive was discovered. He estimated the time of that call to be around 4 p.m. that Thursday, which would have been before Tara was at the library, before she missed that call from a co-worker. So he did speak to her early in the day on Thursday, and he said that there was nothing in Tara's voice or in her life that could prepare him for what was coming. Pleasant conversation. Um... I spoke with her on Thursday. Um, I feel like it was around four o'clock. 
somewhere around this time. Um, I was in Mon Monroe, like Ingalls. I just have a vision in my head. I thought I was in Ingalls parking lot, and I think she was. She was anyway. She was in Athens, but we were talking. But that's the last time I talked to her. I, it was about four o'clock on a Thursday before, and you know we just had normal conversation. She mm -hmm. had, uh, she had, man. If I look back and knew that was the last time, um, she, uh, you know, she was going to, uh, she was getting ready for the weekend. Her birthday was coming up, and we were all excited. You know, I'm excited for. Her. I was excited to have the weekend with her. That to that point. That may have been the longest time I had not seen her in the duration. I was working on plumbing projects. I was like I said, I was I was a subcontractor for a plumbing company, mm -hmm. which at that time I was just trying to keep up. You know, I was working. I take on houses, and when I did, I I put plumbing in the houses as they were being built. Mm -hmm. A lot of hours and a lot of man hours putting that in, and uh, so from that Monday. Leading up to that weekend, I was in uh, Walnut Grove area mm -hmm. and uh, staying at my parents. And so I would go and work till late, come in, crash in the basement, wake up, you know, 6.30 in the morning, go back to work, work all the way another 12 and a half hours or however many hours in the day I could work, mm -hmm. you know, even pulling lights if you had to, you kept lights on the truck. Mm -hmm. And uh and I remember I was going to get wrapped up the next day, and we would have the weekend together. And uh, so we had that conversation. We were talking. But everything seemed fine. Everything was, and we were, it was a good conversation. So you're probably asking, where was he the day Tara was murdered? Well, he was doing what he always did. He was on the job, a hard worker by nature. But on January 19th, 2001, something would bring him to his knees. It would be a day on the job that suspect number two, the boyfriend, would never forget. That morning, I had got up early. I got, I had an employee that worked for me. We were together. And we went to a job site. We finished up the work. And it completed. Later on, probably around... Noon, noonish or so, we went to truck place. I had ordered a part for my vehicle. And um, I went to there. He he was with me, my helper. Um, we were in the truck customs place, and and uh, my phone rang. And it was waiting in line. And it was, uh, you know, Miss Baker. And um, she, I mean, immediately... Once I heard her voice, and I, I mean, I don't know why, but you know, my something was wrong. You know, but she called me, and she and I could hear it in her voice. And then she said, first thing that came out of her mouth was, "Is Tara with you?" And she told me. She said, "Look, he's got a call. There was a fire in Tara's place. The car is in the driveway." And uh, oh, uh, and um. I remember coming to in in the store, and I had just dropped to my knees, 
and I came to the people, and they were calling my name out, standing over me, and I got up, and bless his heart, my helper, I looked at him and I said, man, you got to get me to Athens right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, bless his heart, he, he's a yes, sir, and uh, he jumped in his truck, and he went flying. I mean, how's just like, please get there faster. So you hear there, he immediately comes to Athens, the classic city. And I'm going to let him tell you what happened from there, because some of this is going to really make you pause. The investigative mishaps, the lack of respect, the mishandling of the crime scene. It's all here. I wasn't just making it up in the beginning. I'm going to turn it over to him now for a bit. Take a listen. I cannot recall for black me, like, who told me this, but I went straight to the police department. I don't know if it was something that I, I can't remember if the speaker had told me, you know, like that there's, this has happened. You need to go, you know, go to Athens, go to the police department. I got contacted. I, I was, I was a zombie all of a sudden, you know, I just, I got hit, but we went, he drove me straight to Athens, Clark County police department. Um, after lunch early, Early afternoon, like at this point, it's it's not. I don't know the times, but um, it was not late in the evening, but earlier, I would say, more between twelve thirty, one thirty, or one thirty, two thirty, that I arrived at the police department. Okay, and. Uh, Somewhere in that time, and uh, I went in and told them who it was, mm-hmm. and immediately you know, there were some detectives, and uh, they came over and they started talking to me. And they took me to a room, an interrogation room, and uh, I sat there for a minute. And they said, uh, they kind of filled me in on what was happening. There was a fire. There's the car in the driveway, body in the fire. We need you to identify the body. And I mean, oh God, I, was, I remember telling them that I couldn't do it. I, was like, I just can't do this. I can't see her. In my mind, I'd already painted a picture. Oh, you know, what she, you know, as far as there's a fire in my mind, she just. There was a fire. They found her body. I'm like, oh my God, she's like burning up. So you're going to go in there and see Tara like this. And uh, I told them I couldn't. I said no. And they told me again. They came in again. And they, there's two of them. They sat down at the table. And they just said, son, if, if you don't identify this body, we're going to have to ask the parents to identify the body. Mm. And And I sat there and just... Oh, at that point, I remember I was just, I was just a, a case, man. Not just happy case. That's just today. Mm. But it's and I was just, I agreed. I said okay. I said I don't want her mom. I had to see her. And uh, uh, they took me straight there within a really a short period of time. From the time I arrived, they took me to the scene. Mm-hmm. 
And it was just such a just ugly. I got that picture. It's such an ugly scene. Like it's cold and raining. You know, it's light rain but cold. I pull up, and the house is still like smoking. Mm-hmm. Those fire trucks, or at least a fire truck, like fire rescue, police car, or police cars, detective car, detective cars, there's one, and just, you know, like it was bustling. It was busy. And the detectives got me out of the car at curb. And they said, this is what we're going to do. They said, we're about to, we're going to walk you in here. You got that identifier. And, um, did that seem shocking to you at all that they would ask you to do that? Uh, you know, it did. It did. And I'm such a, a basket case this morning. I was like, I, I mean, I was just like, I guess I'll do what I have to do. I'll do whatever, you know, I was in, I was willing to put it. I felt like I was kind of going into autopilot. I was like, I'm just going to have to do what I have to do in this situation. And, um, you know, I was just get thinking of her parents. But they walked me to the door. They were close to it. They didn't get, I didn't get to go in. They were, there was two detectives that walked me up through the front yard. I got about 15 feet away from the door or so, and a fireman stopped them at the door. And he says, he can't come in here. And um, at that point in time, I couldn't really tell what was said, but the detectives split off. One took me back to the curb, which now is, that's all the way to the road where they had pulled the car up parallel parked to the curb. I'm standing there, I'm looking straight at the front of the house. And um, uh, they came back out, or one of the detectives came back out. And I think, in my mind, I think that was the moment they realized that there was, there was more. There was, you know, there's more to this. There was, you know what I mean? Like, well, it wasn't a fire and an accident or something. That's right. That's right. I think the firemen, this is my thoughts on this, but I think the firemen were there long enough. By the time we got there, they had a chance to get in there, see her, mm-hmm. and they realized something really bad had happened, and the detectives maybe didn't even know that at that time. And then that's when they found out. So it seems like uh, you're saying that the fire department is actually who ended up telling the police on site that, you know, there's something bigger here, you can't come inside. That's correct. Wow. Okay. One question I have about this, um, and um, that's bothered me a lot about the case, is that you know there's a lot of talk about a murder, the murder scene not being properly secured, um, and I think I think you're one of the main witnesses that could attest to if that's true. Do you remember that scene being secured with crime tape or anything like that? No, sir. Wow. No, sir. I don't remember that at all. Like it was. If anything, I mean, at this point in time, you know, it's like, you know, I, I'm thinking it's just a fire, and she passed in this fire, and I'm seeing all the activity. I mean, there was firemen, uh, fire rescue paramedics, you know, to police officers, to us, and 
I mean, it was like they were just, what I remember is them just going around and putting out what was left of the fire and, and just really kind of marching around this place. I mean, there was activity all around the house. Wow. All around. Um, when I got to the door, or close to where I could see into the door, and they were walking me up before we got stopped. I could kind of see in there, and they were still kind of knocking stuff down as mm-hmm. far as trying to put the fire out, make sure it wasn't going to rekindle. Um, that's what I, I remember. Mm-hmm. I do remember it was raining also on top of the water and but they're spraying and all this stuff. It was it was just a bad day. Did did you get this feeling then, or was it something that hit you maybe later? Of maybe they this was a little out of their league, or they had they had not known how to you know secure a scene of this type. Is that anything that ever occurred to you in the moment or in the afterthought? In the afterthought, mm-hmm. I would say in the moment. I'm I'm 22 year old. I just told us you know I was just told that. The person I cared about the most is gone, mm-hmm. and um, so I wasn't really thinking like that. I was, I was just kind of, I was in tow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, reflecting back now, absolutely. I mean, it was. I, I don't know. Like I say, I don't even realize. I think all this was going on around this house, and they didn't even realize that they were on the crime scene. That would be my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I know that they took you there to identify um, Tara's body or what they thought could be Tara's body. Um, once you got there and you weren't allowed inside, I, I, is is it my understanding that you did in some way still identify her body? Yes. Okay. And yes. Can you, what was that like for you? What What do you remember about that? That's <laughs> That was a um, that's tough. Um, they took picture. They took a picture that I got to see, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, "This is what we're going to do. We can't go in. I'm going there. I'm just going to bring out a picture and do it this way." And they went in with a digital style camera mm-hmm. and took a picture. And brought the picture out, um, brought it on the camera, and, and had me look at the the lens of the camera, you know, the mm-hmm. screen, the camera screen, and uh, man, it was just. Even then, I was, I think I don't know if I was still in such utter disbelief, but I feel, I feel even now, I was like, that's not her, mm-hmm. it's, not her. it's not her, it's not her. You know, there was a fire. It wasn't, it wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't easy to even look at her, but it, she didn't look, I mean, it was Tara, but it wasn't her, mm-hmm. it was different, you know, so, but they brought the camera out and I told them still then, I was like, I, I could, that's not her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were just stood there and disbelief themselves, I guess, I was like, and one thing that came through to me was I was just like, look, if this is Tara, I couldn't see him see it from the picture, but I was like, I had gotten her some, you know, diamond earrings. And 
to my knowledge, she had never taken them out. She put them in and just never took them out at the time mm-hmm. she them. And uh, at least I never saw them. She made them take them out. And uh, uh, so they turned around immediately, walked back in, and came back out. And they had removed the earrings from her. And held their hand, held, I think it was the fireman at that point. Mm-hmm. Went in and got the got the earrings off of her and he brought it out and he showed me the earrings. And that was the moment. That was the moment that it, it, it sunk in. Yes, you heard all of that correctly. The boyfriend was asked to identify Tara's body. Firemen had to tell detectives and investigators that they couldn't let him inside and... I don't know about all of you, but it seems that that should have been the other way around. We now have even more evidence of a crime scene in complete disarray. After the boyfriend identified Tara's body through photos and by the earrings, which were obviously mishandled from the get-go, it wasn't long before the tone of investigators towards suspect number two changed, and it happened rather quickly. You can only assume why, though. Um, I did some research here, and about 36.5% of murders committed against young women are committed by their boyfriend or their spouse, according to an expanded homicide study produced by the FBI, which I'll link in the description of this episode. Tara's boyfriend was not naive. He could tell immediately when the investigation turned toward him, and it went from being a compassionate, loving police department to a what-do-you-know police department. And by all accounts, he was very, very cooperative, even as investigators pursued him using intimidation-style tactics. He vowed to do, though, whatever he could for Tara. Almost immediately. Mm -hmm. Almost immediately. Once I realized, once that happened, I remember, I think once they were told, one of the detectives came back out of the house. And this is when the pictures were being shown. Mm -hmm. And uh, just negative comments I mean, just, but it's just uh, I could tell that there was it was like all of a sudden it was, there was there was some temperament there towards me mm-hmm. and then we immediately we left there went back to the police department and I went to an interrogation room and then it turned into interrogation mm. and did they use tactics tactics like that they had information on you or evidence against you things like that no Nothing like that, really. Just more or less uh, timeline mm-hmm. um, stuff. Where have you been? Um, where were you? Um, and then I, I explained, I explained everything, and we, that's kind of how. But I know I stayed back there for a while, and then once I came out of the interrogation room, um, that's when I was. Much reunited with, or united with uh, the friends of family. Came out and they were there. That's when I got to see everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember feeling like they were um, asking questions that were suspect of you? Like, did you feel, you know, in the hot seat, if you will? I would say yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was like, it, it, we're talking about an emotional roller coaster, Cameron. I mean, it was just. Yeah going from not just you know but really hours earlier I was at a truck stop you know just buying car parts getting ready to spend the weekend you know with my girl she uh 
and the next thing you know, I'm identifying her body, and then I'm being interrogated. Mm. And um, and you know, I was, I didn't, I'm, I'm such, it's such a whirlwind at that point. I was, but I, I, you know, fully cooperated. I, I was like, I'll do whatever, you know, cooperate however I need. So you never even stopped and said, let me get legal counsel here. It was, no, I, I let me help you find out who did this. That's right. Mm. And now you say at some point after they interrogated you that you were able to join the Baker family. Is that right? That's correct. And what do you remember that interaction being like, uh, seeing them for the first time after all of this? Um, I think they were uh, as much shock as I was in. Mm-hmm. I think we we all had the same emotion, just shock and awe. I mean, just um, I don't think it really sunk in. Mm-hmm. I think we all had denial. Of course, is my opinion, but that's the way I felt. I guess looking back at it, like something like this can't be happening. This can't be her. This can't be us. Um, you know, in that first interaction there, it was, it was, it was loving. We were all reaching out to each other. I think the friends, the family, ones came just to, I think everybody, if we could all band it in a circle, we would all lean on each other. And that's what that's, I remember. And then there was questions and confusion. And... I remember that, and just that's what I remember. Were you were you ever privy to any of the inappropriate comments made by investigators to the Baker family that night? You know, as as far as comments, now as far as temperament, I could tell it was getting to with the situation, maybe the stress was getting to them because I could tell that I was getting confronted with a very stern, direct attitude. You know, like they were looking, I think they felt like they were looking at the person that did this. And um, mm. so I felt that. And, uh, you know, uh, I could see where that would... Not as much, I would say, as in just, you know, no inappropriate statements, I wouldn't say, just just, just real, at first it was, here's where we're at, we need to come in here and identify, I'm kind of, you know, we're, we're all sorry this is happening, sorry you're put, you know, in this position, we got to do this to, you know, pretty heavy mm-hmm. questioning. And you know, and I you know at that point I'm like you know looking back that I don't, I don't know if that's the way it's supposed to be done. That's your job, but that's that's what I remember. Um, let me ask you this, Chris. Um, after that initial night of questioning, um, did police continue to follow up with you and interrogate you, or was it did they kind of get the picture after that first night that you were solid and having no involvement in this? What 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 did that look like for you in the weeks and months that followed? They did come after me. Um, probably within the next few weeks, 
they called my house at at this point now I'm just emotional, I'm settled in. I come I come back to my parents. You know, I live in the in the, the basement apartment. And uh they would call they would call me. They would get in touch with my parents. Whoever and they would call us at like two thirty in the morning. Three thirty in the morning. And they would get it and they would ask us to come down to the police station because they need to collect more evidence. Wow. No questions asked. You need to be here tonight. More evidence. And I there's multiple trips where I would go and give hair samples, blood samples, tissue, additional fingerprinting. Um they hit me up and asked me to do a polygraph. More than welcome to. I mean, I'm dropping what I'm doing. Where do you need me? And they would tell me, and it would you know, be an hour and a half ride somewhere. I need to stay here in an hour and a half. Wow. And I went and gave polygraph test. And yes, so they they kept coming. Um, and then it faded out. Then I was contacted, and this is there was a moment that. I was I was fed up with not getting answers and not being talked to like somebody who just lost somebody they absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And this is four I don't know, four years later. It's just some years, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh GBI now I will say this too, GBI got involved and this is I'll I'll, I'll take two steps backwards. During that time before what I'm leading up to happen, um, GBI would show up on my job sites. Wow. And I would be working in the subdivision. This is during a boom. And I'm around, I don't know, 150 you know, people mm-hmm. working, trying to get these projects done. And then, I mean, just like men in black. I mean, they would pull up in a blacked-out Lincoln Town car two of them, and they pull right up out in front of our houses in the project, get out wearing suits, dark glasses, and they walk straight into that building, and they would start asking for me. Mm. And then they would pull me, and then they would pull me off that, so they knew where I was at, and they pulled me out of the job site, and they would put me in the car, and they would interrogate me on job site with everybody. Wow. And then, years ago, a couple years go by, and uh nothing. And um I get a phone call in the afternoon and evidently there's a new GBI agent that's on that's on the case now mm-hmm. at this point in time. And uh what stood out to me absolutely this is what got me upset. Mm-hmm. Was uh what the first thing they said, I don't know if it was a tactic or she really meant it. Mr. Melton, you were a hard man to find. Mm. And I was floored. I was like, I'm at, I said, what's going on? And she explained it. And then I just, my temper started getting, I was like, because at that point it felt like I had a realization. They, they weren't anywhere because mm-hmm. I said, did you, and that's why I just kind of turned in. I said, did you lose my file? Do you know who I am? And I was giving it back to them. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know who I am? Do you not know where I'm at? Do you not have, I mean, I have the same phone number and the same address. 
Mm. I live at the same place. And you're telling me you can't find me? Mm. And and I could tell in the other in, the individual, the agent on the phone was disturbed by it. Like mm-hmm. they started you know, backpedaling, but uh, it just it. And then once I said, she asked me a question, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it just it just didn't sit with her well, and she immediately went in to start interrogating again mm-hmm. over the phone. I haven't heard from people in years. No answers. Clearly, I was not involved. And then she starts interrogating me again. And then that's that's really when it's it's sunk home that I, they, they're nowhere. I felt like. Now you heard this next line in the beginning is a little bit of a teaser, but I had to do due diligence in asking suspect number two, the boyfriend, one very direct and difficult question. And as you heard, he answered without hesitation. And you're telling me that anything the police department asked of you from polygraph to DNA to hair samples to meetings, there was not once that you said no. Never. Never. And you have a you had a verified alibi for the night of Tara's murder or and the morning of, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And you um is it fair to say unequivocally um that you did not kill Tara Baker? Absolutely not. Tara's former boyfriend and suspect number two in our list of telling information and dispelling misinformation is now married with children of his own, which he says makes Tara's loss even more personal for him. I asked what he would say to the Baker family, and he had some emotional words to offer not only to them, but to the woman he loved. I would tell them that I miss her too. That I feel their pain. That I always looked up to them. I always admired, even at a young age, I I could tell how strong a family they were. Mm -hmm. I could tell how well-raised Tara was to that point. And from that moment until I had met Tara, I don't think I had met anyone that was so well put together. And that's her parents. That's her siblings. But I would like to tell them that I only had a short period of time with her. But it was a blessing. And I wouldn't take it back. If I had to go without this pain, I wouldn't take it back. She uh, she was just a guiding light, and it, I'm sorry for their loss. And now I have been blessed with children of my own. I couldn't imagine I have two girls, mm-hmm. and I couldn't imagine the pain that they went through. As bad as my heartache and pain was, I can't imagine what the mother and father went through. And 
they will always have my respect, and I will always have a special place for them and Tara in my heart. You can also tell that his story tells a deeper, problematic story of what I believe to be negligence and incompetence by the Athens-Clark County Police Department. These are my words, not his, but he did have this to say to police officials working on the case who I know are listening. Get on it. (laughs) Do something. I know that it's, it was a mess. It was messed up from the beginning. But whatever you have, whatever you have, open your minds and allow people to step in and help. Drop the ego. Open the doors. Mm-hmm. Let the people who can help help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you messed up, you messed up back in the day. But let's make a right and start doing something. Start moving on this. Start allow it. This is the main thing is I believe it sounds like you need the outside help. You've always needed outside help. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to tell them is if this ever happens again, don't let the ego get in the way and allow the professionals to help. This is, they weren't, you know, we're not talking about just random people off the street that just have an idea. Allow mm-hmm. these people to help. But at this point in time, I think, yeah, you know, uh, you know, everybody getting this information together. Maybe this will help. Maybe it'll get going. I want to truly thank Tara's boyfriend for taking time to speak with me. I know it wasn't easy, and to finally have his story told after 20 years really means something. And I really appreciate him trusting me to help tell it. In short, Tara's boyfriend had an alibi, passed polygraphs, and for years gave police every single thing they asked for. So I'll let you make your own assumptions based on that. When I started this podcast, there was one interesting thing that I noticed. Everyone in the Baker family and within Tara's circle had their own interesting theories and different ideas about what could have happened to their daughter, their sister, their friend. And it made things a little difficult, I'll be honest. But after all, their minds were left to wonder and guess after years of misinformation, leaks, and downright lies. So tomorrow, this weekend, be sure to stay tuned for an Insider exclusive where we will be interviewing Meredith and Kevin, Tara's siblings, about their response to suspect number two, the boyfriend, and how they feel after all of these years. And next week, we're going to dive right in to suspect number three. Who was in Tara's circle in her professional life, and were they someone of power, with money, and did they have motive to have Tara killed? The mystery continues, and answers are coming next week on Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron Jane. Thanks for tuning in. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron Jay, designed and co-produced by Kyle Kazaya. You can find us on the web at ClassicCityCrime.com, social media, Instagram, Facebook, at Classic City Crime. And you can always email us at ClassicCityCrime at gmail.com. You may have the clue we're looking for. We'll see you next week. <laughs>